Welcome to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS podcast, where Jonathan Denwood interviews the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing to help WordPress professionals launch their own SaaS. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS. It's episode 774. I feel so old, audience, but there we go. We've got a real friend of the show and a personal friend, um, he puts up with my madness. He just looks back at me and smiles with the experience of dealing with crazy people like me. Uh, we've got Rob Rowling with us again. Uh, um, so, Rob, we're going to be talking about your new book, um, Secrets of a Successful Startup. Yeah, the SAS Playbook. Yeah, I like the cover. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Um, I paid so, for it. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Um, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the new listeners and viewers, Rob? Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on the show again, man. I feel like um, I'm becoming this, you know, the Steve Martin on SNL. He has like the most appearances. That's that's what I'm going for on WP Tonic. Well, they're great discussions. I think you enjoy them yeah. as well, um, as well, don't you? Always, always. So in, in the way of introducing myself, I used to be a software developer. I started building, I wanted freedom. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. The Silicon Valley path didn't make any sense to me and I didn't have any connections. I was an outsider. So I just started building little software products. This is almost 20 years ago. And I built invoicing software for .NET developers. I just built little random things and eventually I owned all of my time, about 120 grand a year, 150 grand a year. And I just had products. And then I realized a lot as I started blogging about this, a bunch of other people were like, oh my gosh, this is this is cool. You should talk about this. So then I started a podcast called Startups for the Rest of Us. I started a conference series in a community now called Microconf. And uh, I've written four books now on, on entrepreneurship. So that brings us to today, which is the full-time now I run Microconf and I run Tiny Seed, which is a startup accelerator for SaaS. And as Jonathan said, I write books. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I've got my co-host, Kurt. Kurt, would you like to introduce yourself to the new listeners and viewers? Absolutely. Uh, it's great to be back with Rob again. And uh, I have a small company called Manana Nomas. We specialize in uh, membership and learning websites and helping other people find their space online and uh, working with WP Tonics on. Yeah, and um, we're going to be discussing um, what triggered Rob to um, decide to write this book, um, what a couple of key things he wants people to get from the book, what Rob thinks about AI, it's dying down a little bit, so I think we've had a little bit of time to reflect on it, and many other subjects, it should be a great discussion. But before we go into the main meat and potatoes of this great interview, I've got a break for a couple of my major sponsors. We will be back in a few moments, folks. Are you looking for ways to make your content more engaging? Sensei LMS by Automatic is the original WordPress solution for creating and selling online courses. Sensei's new interactive blocks can be added to any WordPress page or post. For example, interactive videos let you pause videos and display quizzes, lead generation forms, surveys, and more. For a 20% off discount for the tribe, just use the code WPTONIC, all one word, when checking out and give Sensei a try today. 
Hi there folks, it's Jonathan Denwood here and I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors and that's Zolo.com. If you've got a WordPress website, a membership website, and you're looking to link it with a great financial management package, Zolo can provide this solution. So all your bookkeeping needs are done through Zolo. If you need new inbox email functionality and you don't want to pay the high charges that Google will charge you, Zolo offers a great email inbox platform. They've got over 50 apps and services that all integrate fantastic with WordPress at great value levels and they almost always offer a fully functioning free product as well. So it's just amazing value. Also, if you're a WordPress developer or agency owner, Zolo are looking for great partnerships in the WordPress space. To get all this information, all you have to do, folks, is just go over to Zolo.com and they have the products that you're looking for. Thank you so much, Zolo, for supporting WP Tonic and the Machine Membership Shows. It's much appreciated. We're coming back, folks. I'd like to point out, we've got some great special offers from the major sponsors, plus a created list of all the best WordPress plugins. So if you're looking for a specific plugin for a client's job, you don't have to tour the internet. You can go just to this list and you can get all these goodies by going over to wptonic-tonic, wp-tonic.com slash deals, wp-tonic.com slash deals. And you find all the goodies there. What more could you ask for? Probably a lot more, but that's all you're going to get from that particular page. Uh, um, so, Rob, busy life, family, microconference, tiny seed, not enough on your plate. Plus, you go on crazy podcasts with people like me. Um, you decide you've got to write a book. What was the trigger to add more to your plate, Rob? It was a difficult decision, and the trigger was a conversation I had with a good friend of mine. Uh, he's the founder of Signwell. His name's Ruben Gomez. And I was kicking it around. I've written three books, and they're always very painful and take a lot, a lot longer than I want them to, and they're a distraction from my day-to-day and all that. But I was telling him, I said, you know, I have someone for, for an AI project where they, were, they wanted to pull in every word that I've spoken on YouTube and the, my podcast, and it was like a million words. And he was feeding it into an AI engine because we were trying to build like a robot that we could query. And I said, that's a million words. A, that's a lot of stuff. But B, it's too many words for anyone to, to follow, right? That's just, that's hundreds and hundreds of hours of content. And I said, I would love it if I could um, condense that into something to 40,000 words, right? Which is what, what this is. And I was heeing and hawing about it. And Ruben said, you know what? Like our community needs this book because right now when people come to me, him being Ruben, and say, what are the best books? What should I read for bootstrapping SaaS? He's, he was like, I just don't, you know, I name uh, April Dunford's book for positioning and I name so-and-so's book about copywriting, but there's like no core book that I recommend. And so he said, I would love it if you'd write this book because I will recommend it to people. So that that was like a, a weird moment of clarity of like, ah, I need to do this. That was two and a half years ago though. And it was, that shows you how long, how long these things can take. 
I want to mention Ivy to you, Kurt. Yeah, Rob. Um, what are a couple of the key areas that I mean the book really dives into and covers? I mean, you just mentioned it kind of does like the overviewing arch right. of it, but but where does it kind of focus or lead people? Yeah, I. What's funny is I didn't start. I didn't start with. I, I wanted this to be a general. There's like no kind of bootstrapping SaaS book that has been out in the past five or 10 years. You know, all of them are, tend to be old. I wrote one 13 years ago. It's just, they, they've all aged. And so I set out to cover things that the most common questions that I get from my tiny seed founders and from microconf, right? So it's like price, there's a whole chapter on pricing. There's only six chapters. And it, so it's just, each of these covers a key, right? It's like pricing, one of them all about mindset, because that's a huge deal, whether you're transitioning from developer to entrepreneur, or whether you're just dealing with the day-to-day of questions of, should I be doing this and how this is so hard. And then, of course, marketing. That may be the big one. Pricing and marketing are probably the big two chapters I think people have commented the most about. For marketing, I wanted to get, I say this on my podcast all the time, there are only 20 B2B SaaS marketing approaches. That's it. And that includes high-level things. Like I'll say PPC, pay-per-click ads is one. Now, under that is Google AdWords, Facebook ads, Instagram, whatever, LinkedIn, Twitter, right? But PPC is one. There's only 20. And people were saying, well, what are they? And I was like, well, I have this list here written on this paper, and I put it in the book, right? So that's my understanding of pretty much, aside from some edge case, like it's about 20. And I talk through when to use each of them, how to think about using, how to prioritize each of them, right? That's a big question. So there's more to it. Those are three of the top chapters um, that I keep hearing about. People tell me, oh, this one really you know, impacted my thinking. Nice. You know, I found in my personal experience, I tend to be more of like that bootstrapping mindset. Mm-hmm. But then I found myself working on projects for clients that were the opposite that went out and did the fundraising thing. Mm-hmm. And it's always kind of blown my mind. Like I was used to blood, sweat, tears, the whole thing. And then I'd start a project for someone else and they'd come back to my office three months later and be like, well, our first round, we raised $400,000 for right. this, this and this. And I'm, and you kind of get like lost a little bit in like, mm-hmm. okay, so what's the right way to do something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But, but yeah. it looks like your book's got some guidance in that. Well, that's the thing. So this book, you know, I, I call it, the subtitle is Build a Multimillion Dollar Startup Without Venture Capital. <laughs> Honestly, there are a bunch of venture-funded SaaS founders who have bought this and told me this applies to, mostly to what I'm doing. The only sentiment in the book, there, I've never been anti-venture and I've never been anti-fundraising. I think fund, funding is a tool. Being anti-funding is like saying I don't like hammers, Right? When I have a nail, the hammer's the right tool. When I have high growth ahead of me or when I want to get there faster, funding is a tool to get there and you have to know what you're giving up. So there is no one right way, but I think of it, I do have kind of a mental framework for it. I call it the one rule or framework or whatever that I think around, in terms of tech companies, I think around 1% maybe should or should's not the right word, should consider venture. Like that's where you're going for a billion dollars or bust pretty much. I think about 9% should consider some type of funding that's not venture, which is like Tiny Seed has kind of indie funding that's not venture. There's debt financing, their friends and family, there's angel rounds where they don't expect you to raise venture, right? And then I think the other 90% should probably bootstrap. And that is, it's like the 80-20 rule where it's kind of made up, but it gives you an idea of how I think about it. You know, there is room for each of these, I've started six companies in my life. I have five of them were bootstrapped. And the sixth one I raised, we raised $42 million for Tiny Seed. So I see, I see successes across all of them. Funding, I will say, does make it easier. 
that's the thing. It it is a whether it's a cheat code or whether we say bootstrapping is hard mode, however you want to call it. I've done both. Bootstrapping is harder, but bootstrapping you're in control. You don't answer to any. You know there are pros and cons to each of those, which I discuss a little bit in the book as well. Nice, nice, Jonathan. Back to you. Yeah, just a remark. You know, um, me and Kurt had a discussion about page builders last week. It was the internal show and. We had an example of this, actually, Rob, uh, in the WordPress space, you know, about three, four years ago, that there was a page builder called Beaver Builder, okay. and there was another Elemator. Elemator has grown into a six million user, um, took VC money. Um, Beaver Builder is still going, still a great company, still great founders, and they chose not to take VC money. Um, so you could, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, um, I just remarked to Kurt, maybe it was the wrong decision for them. Maybe they should have taken VC. But on the other hand, maybe they, they were totally happy where they are. So I'm just, but why it really, it really depends where you want to go with your own business journey, really, doesn't it? That's right. And you can go in one direction. If you, let's say I bootstrapped, for six months, a year, five years, you can then always raise funding. You can't go back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like once you no. raise VC, and once you raise angel, if it's not VC focused, you can you can still hang around there. So I've seen some people like um, Wistia bought out their angel investors. So they literally mm. went backwards. It's uncommon, but it happens. But man, mm. once you go venture, it's it's very, very unusual that you don't just go to, you know, take it to the moon or bust type thing. Yeah, so um, obviously people are going to have their own takeaways after they read the book. But um, if somebody read the book and you bumped into them and they mentioned the book and you said, you know, what what was the main thing you got from the book? What would lighten your heart if somebody said what they, the main message they got from the book? Mm. Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I've so I've gotten a lot of feedback on Twitter already, and I think some of the things that made me happiest were someone said, well, a few people said that their pricing, the book made them realize that pricing's all screwed up, that they're underpriced or the value metrics off. They just don't have it structured correctly because pricing is the single biggest lever in SaaS, and that is the first thing you should think about. So if I can get someone to increase their price or to change the way they charge, that can make or break a business, right? It can make a a quarter million dollar business into a million dollar business if you just change this one thing. I've seen it. I've been part of it. Um, that would probably be the number one. The, the number two is there's a mindset chapter at the end. Of course, I throw it at the end because a lot of people are like, oh, mindset, why is he talking about this stuff? But like, there's a bunch in there about like the grind, about burning out, about... Um, you know, disputes, co-founder disputes about taking founder retreats and like recharging. And I think if someone told me that that took me from being a crazy, like stressed, overworked founder and made my journey easier and just made my life as a founder easier and my relationships better, that would that would also make me really happy. That's fantastic. Over to you, Kurt. Well, I feel like I'm going to go off the range just a little bit. Yeah. But when when you decide to to write the book, Rob, and I know that you said that someone else had kind of said, hey, if you write this, I'd like to recommend it to people. But in my personal writing, I find that 
my brain gets like just so overwhelmed all the time. Like it's, if it's constantly there, if it's just constantly buzzing for me, the writing is like, it's, it's the release. It's, it's the, if I write it down, I can let it go and then get more productive on other things again. Um, what's that energy like for you? Like, like, was it, was it a struggle to focus on the content or was it like, thank goodness I'm finally getting this content out? So for me, it was a struggle to focus on the content because I had already gotten 80% of this, 75% of this out Mm. over 675 podcast episodes and 52 YouTube videos a year that I record. So a lot of it is said some has been said somewhere in some interview at some point, you know what I mean? And so I was actually trying to revisit a bunch of my conversations yeah. to say what were, and I listened back to 100, 200 of my own podcast episodes. Oh, well, that's horrible, isn't it? it? It's terrible. <laughs> it's I, can't terrible. I, I can't listen to me. And I, I, but I would pick up, I'd be like, whoa, that I said that and that was really smart. Why did I never, I never said that again. It just occurred to me at one moment, I said it and it was gone. And I said, that is an entire section of the book, just that thought. So that's what I was trying to do was kind of pull it in. The writing was, was then I was like almost retreading ground I'd already treaded, which I don't like doing. So I wrote half the book on my own, about 20 something thousand words. And then I stalled for almost a year and I kind of got writer's block and I pulled a writing coach in who helped me flesh the rest of it out. Without her, I just don't think the book would have, would have been finished. Oh, that's, um, thank you for the insight. That's great. Uh, I actually have new clients now out of Canada. That's what they do. They help people finish their books. Yep. It's a, it's a whole industry unto itself. Surprisingly helpful. I resisted it because I've, I've, I'm a writer after all. I'm not going to let someone else. Get, and at a certain point, I'm like, look, do you want the book to get done or not? <laughs> they're all my thoughts. They're all my ideas. And for the most part, they're all my words, although she wrote some of them because she would interview me about things. She'd watch the video. She'd say, all right, I have questions around this. And then she would write a rough draft of sections. And then I would go in and change the tone and be like, ooh, didn't quite get that. But that's why the book is done is because I let her do that. I run two companies. I put out 52 podcasts a year and 52 YouTube videos a year. To think that I had the time and the focus to write the book was, I'll say, a little misguided. And so in the end, I cut myself some slack to be able to do it. And I'm happy that I did. Uh, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Jonathan, I'll kick it back. Thanks. I've got a question here. Um, I do another. I do another podcast. I'm going to do a show tomorrow, and it's it's more focused around my business. It's the membership machine show, Rob. Um, and we're going to be. It's a kind of we talk about membership and building a successful membership website, and we talk about WordPress, but we also talk about SaaS solutions. And tomorrow we're we're talking about ClickFunnels and some of the competitors. And I've been doing a fair bit of research, Rob. Um, you would think in 2023 that most markets were saturated, that it's very hard. But doing this research, ClickFunnels 2.0, you they have tried, I think they were in a pincer. They were, there was new competition and they also wanted to go into the land of Kajabi. And they've built out ClickFunnels too, and they they've thrown a lot of extra functionality. But a lot of people criticizing the core functionality is degraded. And then I looked at the competition. I looked at something called Go High Level, um, which is more aimed at agencies. And then I looked at something called System IO, which uh, System System E. 
I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, um, and that's become, that's taking what seems to become the darling of some of the influencers that supported ClickFunnel. And I know this is long-winning, but what I'm saying here, you would you would think in, there seems to still be bandwidth, even in something so competitive as landing page CRM. There seems to be a lot of people, a competitor, you know, established play like ClickFunnel, they seem to be having problems, but none of the other competitors have quite got it. Is this is this something you regularly see, that there's still a lot of um, possibilities there, in, in, in even in markets that you think are very... Um, Saturated. Yes. Yes. We had at Tiny Seed. We that was a very low winded question, no, wasn't but, it? <laughs> but it's there's three reasons for it. I'll go into it in a second. But at Tiny Seed, we back we're a startup accelerator for SaaS bootstrappers, and we back uh, about twenty. I'm sorry, about between fifty and sixty early stage SaaS companies a year, and so we've backed 131, I believe, to date, and. They're all they're they're in a couple different. Um, there's a couple different opportunities we see. One, of course, it's just verticalized, right? It's like I'm going to build Salesforce, but for hair salons, for you know lumberjacks, for whatever you know, whatever other vertical. The other the other thing is you go into these horizontal plays like landing pages, email marketing, email service provider, CRM that anybody can use. There are still corners of those markets that you can get to by positioning yourself, right? So we are like ClickFunnels, but we, uh, but our performance is way better. And you know, I don't know what's wrong with ClickFunnels, but you know, you figure out what it, what is ClickFunnels' Achilles' heel? What is everyone complaining about? And your your H one on your homepage is we're not that. Um, becoming the opposite. And that's how you position yourself in a corner of a market, right? So every big market always has these positioning quarters where you can say, we are the low price leader, which I don't recommend being, but you can say we are the easiest to use. You can say we are the one with the best support. Think of what Zappos did, right? With customer support. That was their one thing. They weren't the cheapest. Zappos just said, our support is incredible, right? And we FedEx over overnight both ways. Um, and some SaaS companies have kind of taken up that mantle. So Yes, there's opportunity. It's more crowded than it was 10 years ago. It'll be more crowded in 10 years. I believe there's always opportunity. Second, or the, those were two. The third thing is markets mature and apps mature. So you saw ClickFunnels come out. It was new software. Oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Software gets old quickly. And the life cycle of it, if you don't rebuild it, gets real crufty. Think of MailChimp and Salesforce. I'm not saying MailChimp's crufty, but it is old. It's 20-something-year-old software. That's what made an opportunity for me to start Drip, for other ESPs like ConvertKit to come around is that MailChimp, you know, got old. Um, similarly, it'll happen to everything. ConvertKit, ClickFunnels, anything we name today that's like, everyone's using it. Give it five years, give it seven years. It just doesn't move fast. Some upstart could come in. Like I could start an ESP today and grow it to a multi-million dollar business in a in a few years, I'll say. I mean, it'll take it takes you yeah, one or two years just to get to table stakes features. But given that software ages so fast, it ages itself out. Unless someone's really on top of it, like Basecamp, for example, where they rewrite everything, there there's massive opportunity for uh, an upstart to come in and kind of replicate, but kind of innovate in a way that the existing you know um, incumbents aren't able to because of the age of the product. 
Yeah, because I, I think it, um, if you've got a certain market share, there, there seems to be a temptation to add more and more functionality. And and as you add more and more functionality, the core of what led people to your to your product, your service, it actually deteriorates in general. How do you... But it's understandable in a way because you see it as a way of um, making your product more and more appealing. Spin on the audience. You want to keep growing. Every, no matter how big the idea, there's something called the, um, the S-curve, which, and Darmesh wrote a really nice thing about this. Jason Cohen wrote a good thing about this called the elephant curve. But basically, your, your app starts off and it grows and then it inevitably plateaus. The market is only so big. Yeah. And it might plateau at a million dollars a year. It might plateau at a hundred million, but it plateaus. Even like WP Engine, um, I know their story pretty well. I was an angel investor in the first two rounds. I'm friends with Jason. Um, you know, at a certain point, just WordPress hosting, they had enough of the market that it's like, well, we're going we're gonna to start to plateau unless we expand, right? So that's the same thing with ClickFunnels. Same thing with LeadPages, who was the big... LeadPages was the leader until ClickFunnels came along. And LeadPages was starting to plateau because they had sucked almost all of the market in, right? So yes, it's inevitable that, you, that you're going to plateau. And so you have to add either services or teaching, you know, because I know ClickFunnels does a lot of the education stuff, or you add new product lines. Think of HubSpot. Remember HubSpot used to be all-in-one marketing. It was like Google Analytics mixed with Squarespace, mixed with, I think they had some, they didn't even have email marketing at the start and they bolted that on. What really caused a ton of HubSpot's growth was when they added CRM and went against Salesforce. Like, talk about adding like five things and then they kept growing. To your point, Jonathan, is the product very good? I don't know, I don't use it. I hear people don't like it. You know, and a lot of these things like ClickFunnels or whatever, it's the, the deterioration of, of the core product. I think it is inevitable is maybe too strong of a word, but it's certainly common. I just don't think, I, I'm not even a bash it, I just don't think any of this is particularly easy, which is not surprising, is it? Uh, um, all right, we're going to go for our mid-break. We've got some other great topics to discuss. It's always a great to have Rob on the show. They're always interesting discussions. We will be back in a few moments, folks. Hey, it's Spence from LaunchFlows.com. If you've been looking for a fast and easy way to create powerful sales funnels on WordPress, then look no further than LaunchFlows. In just minutes, you can easily create instant registration, upsells, downsells, order bumps, one-click checkouts, one-time offers, custom thank you pages, and best of all, no coding is required. For as little as $50 per year, you can own and control your entire sales funnel machine with LaunchFlows. Get your copy today. This podcast episode is brought to you by Lifter LMS, the leading learning management system solution for WordPress. If you or your client are creating any kind of online course, training-based membership website, or any type of e-learning project, Lifter LMS is the most secure, stable, well-supported solution on the market. Go to LifterLMS.com and save 20% at checkout with coupon code PODCAST20. That's PODCAST20. Enjoy the rest of your show. We're coming back, folks. Just want to point out, if you're looking for great WordPress hosting 
provider and partner for your projects, especially if you're building out complicated membership and community websites and WordPress. Why don't you look at becoming a partner with WP Tonic? You can find all the info and the special deals we do with our industry partners by going over to WP Tonic slash um, partners. That's wp-tonic.com slash partners and find out all the info there, folks. So, oh, in some ways, I'm so bored with this already, but um, AI, uh, God knows how many people have approached you with startup. I, I hate to think how many emails, conversations you've had in the past six months about AI. Are you sick of it in a way? Um, oh, yeah. And, and um, obviously, unlike Web 3.0 and and um, I, I, I definitely think there's substance to this, but I also think it's much, much more complicated than what people were thinking. They, you know, people seem to have a clear roadmap, and I, I think it's much more uncharted territory that we're entering. Um, was, you know, I think things, the hype's died down a little bit. So maybe you've had enough time to think about. Got any thoughts about this AI road trip that we're going there? Yeah. I mean, I think the top level summary is AI is going to be like any, like I, I've likened it to a web development framework like Rails for Ruby or Django for Python. When you first see it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is an advantage and it's going to make me move so much faster. And it that's true but it's also an advantage everyone else can use. So it's less of an advantage and more of just an accelerant. It's more of something that helps you move faster. Certainly vert or horizontal AI is going to be owned by a couple of massive players. We can probably predict who those are, but you know, it's anyone's game, I suppose, at this point, although OpenAI has the, has the edge. But then the uses are already starting to be verticalized, I'll say, or they're starting to be um, use case driven, right? Where you see it's like, oh, it's specifically for marketing images and it's specifically for this and that. Now, I, my intuition is that the people who are going to succeed in those spaces in the long term are the ones that are already there. It's like if you look at um, Buffer or Hootsuite, why wouldn't they just build in the ability to generate marketing copy and generate marketing units? You don't need a third-party tool to do that, right? They already have the customer base. They already have the um, the momentum. And similarly, I see a lot. I guess what I'm saying is, I see a lot of AI tools being built that it's like, oh, this is a cool idea, and AI can generate that. But it's a fee- it's what's it's going to be a feature of a bigger product that's already there. I looked at like Vimeo and Wistia, right? These big hosting video hosting platforms. There's a bunch of Again, feature apps that it's like generate video script.ai and generate video script summary.ai and you know, whatever else. And now, like Vimeo released yesterday, you can generate a video script and you can generate a video summary. And that's all just built into the main tool. So it's not a differentiator, it's just something cool now that is makes me gonna stick with Vimeo. So those are my there's those are my short-term thoughts. And I, I think over the next 12 to 18 months, it's gonna just continue to evolve that way. Unless we see some another big step. Like, you know, OpenAI, when they dropped ChatGPT, it was like, oh my gosh, now we, we're all shocked and it's this new thing. I don't know if another new thing like that will come out or not, but 
to do you, do you think it will substantially, as it matures a little bit more, substantially help developers be more productive and 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 accelerate and lower the price of building apps um, and products, which is which is you know, with Tiny Seed is a direct area that you're interested in. Do you see that really happening? I do. Yeah, I think it will make them developers more productive, which in my business, well, maybe it's decreased the cost of it, but really it's it'll allow us to build more with the same budget because we're still going to spend as much as we can and we're just going to move faster, right? And we're going to build more in general because in early stage, you do need to build a lot usually to get to get to an MVP or to get to, to table stakes. But with like consulting projects, if I was still a, a you know a micro agency, yeah, we would be way more efficient, you know, and whether that number is 20% or whether it's 50% more efficient, I think with t- tools like Copilot and, you know, whatever else comes out, I think it's, it's absolutely. And there's even, there's one that's coming out that is you can type in a description of what you want to see and it generates um, all the tailwind, all, like a whole tailwind CSS of a page after you've described what you want it to look like. Like that's crazy. And it's not going to get you 100%. But can it get you to seventy five percent? So you don't have to hand code all that anymore. It's pretty pretty crazy. Yes, over to you, Kurt. Well, kind of as a follow up to the idea that AI is the accelerant or that things can move faster. When you are looking at um, like an incubator for SaaS, do you foresee this kind of being like a um, like it'll hasten the churn rate? Like, do you think businesses will start and fail at a quicker rate because they're because they're kind of like the impatience of AI, they're pushing, 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 and then poof. I don't think it will because businesses usually fail. So funded companies fail when they run out of money and bootstrapped companies fail when the founder runs out of motivation, right? Because that's just how it works because bootstrap companies don't run out of money because they don't, they just don't have the, you know, they, they, they don't have burn per se. Yeah. And unless... Uh, I think AI, if anything, might help founders not run out of motivation because they are moving faster. Because that's usually what happens is I'm just not growing. I'm not getting traction. Nothing's working. I'm going to throw in the towel. And if AI can help them move faster, you know, maybe it'll keep them going longer. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much of a difference it'll make. Oh, okay. I like that. I was just trying to figure that out. So um, the next question is, uh, what are some of the biggest online influencers or mm. personal mentors um, that may have had an effect on you? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple. Um, Jason Cohen is one. And he <laughs> was back in 2011. Let's see, I started blogging in 2005. He started blogging, I think, in 08 or 09. And I'd never heard of him. And I was like, this guy's really smart. And this is way before WP Engine, right? He was just very smart. He was touching on things that I was also thinking about, and there were only a handful of us who were like startup bloggers at the time. And I was more of like a micro bootstrap blogger. I wasn't even a startup. Like I hadn't started a bigger company. And then in 2011, and I wrote my book in 2010. He bought, I saw he bought my book. I was like, this is really cool. Like we'd never met, but apparently he was reading my blog because I certainly was reading his. He bought my book. He commented on it. And then when he went to raise funding for WP Engine, he emailed me and he's like... Um, 
do you want a you know, minimum is twenty five thousand, but I'll take kind of whatever whatever you have. And I was like, I've never invested. I, I wish you had fired me. I don't have twenty five thousand dollars, you know. But I didn't have the money. I wasn't. I had no big exits. I was like, yeah, I was crazy. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so stressful. So. I actually went and sold a small little product I had to raise twenty grand to invest in that first round of WP Engine because um, I I and in fact this that's the other funny thing he sent an email and it said this is the general idea of what I'm building and here's the deck and when I clicked through to the deck it was like a four hundred four or access denied or something I never asked for access I just said I'm in. It didn't matter to me. I just believed he would do it. So then he spoke at Microconf. Then, you know, we got to know each other. And he, I have just watched him, you know, just basically hit the stratosphere. And I've always respected his, his logical way of, of thinking. And then the other one is a friend of mine. It's the guy who encouraged me to write the book. His name's Ruben Gomez. And he started actually, he was reading my blog. He was working a day job 2008 and nine. And then he like started this little sass on the side and he was like asking me advice. And so kind of like a, he was learning from me. And then at a certain point, I remember thinking, I think he knows more than I do now. I remember in 2011 being like, this guy passed me on the curve, you know? And so now I feel like in different areas, as any good relationship is, like I'm ahead on some things. Am I thinking in other things he's ahead on? And so those those two people have 100% shaped, uh, shaped yeah. my journey. That's it's awesome. Great. It's great to hear about Jason because Jason's become a friend of the show as well. I didn't know that you had a connection, but um, he's come on the show regularly and I think he would say that we're friends like you. And he's just a great, he's, he's like yourself, very generous with your time. Um, he's just a great person. Um, so it's great to have such people t- that agree to come on the show, actually. Um, so um, I love this this question. So because, you know, I'm English, well, I'm a dual national, but I used to watch a lot of Doctor Who when I was a kid. Uh, um, so if you had your time machine and you could go back to the start of your career, this crazy sass, what would be um, a couple of things that you would say to yourself that would help you if you knew at the beginning that would have helped you out, Rob? I would say, don't be so scared. Make more mistakes, move faster. It took me way too long to get where I was going because I was so scared I was going to do something that I would look back on and regret or that would be a mistake or that I would waste time building something and it would never take off or that I would say something or build something online that would get criticized or that people wouldn't like or that people would get mad at. And here I am 23 years later after starting my career of as a developer and uh, I wished I had gotten here faster. <laughs> And I could have if yeah. I had just taken bigger risks and not tiptoed around all this stuff. And I had all this anxiety and stress around, should I do this? Should I do that? I, the more I shipped, the better I got. The more I shipped, the faster I moved. And in the early days, I was so tentative to ship anything. And I mean ship code. I mean ship websites. I mean ship blog posts, ship podcasts, ship books, ship opinions, whatever it is. And these days I um, have gotten over that fear because I ship all, <laughs> some would say I ship too many of those things, but uh, you know, that's kind of the, that's kind of the place that I find myself at now. Yeah. It's um, it's a difficult one, isn't it? You know, because um, yeah. I always felt you were very focused. I think that's one of the main things, isn't it? You know, it's very, in this age, it's very easy to become unfocused, isn't it? Mm. 
I was unfocused for a while though, you know, because I was launching, if you think about it, like Drip and any SaaS app I ran was like this company and it was like pulling me in. It was like all the energy I could, I could muster. And then on the side, I was writing books and doing podcasts and running MicroConf, this conference for startup. Like it was, I was not focused and that was actually pretty stressful. The most focused I've ever felt in my life and my professional career started in 2018 when I left, I'd sold Drip in 2016, worked for him for a couple of years. I left in 2018 and I looked at what I had and I had podcasts and I had MicroConf and then decided to start Tiny Seed. And I realized, oh, these are all the same thing. The mission of those three things I've just named is to multiply the world's population of independent, self-sustaining startups. That's the podcast. That's Tiny Seat. That's MicroConf. They do it in different ways. They're different tools. One's a hammer, one's a screwdriver, and one is a, a rake. But the mission of each of them is to do the exact same thing. That is, this is by far, even though when people ask me what I do on a day-to-day basis, I'm like, I work on a lot of things. I'm like, all these video YouTube videos, and then I do podcast interviews, and then I manage a team of microcom people, and I manage a team of tiny seat people. But I feel more focused than I ever have been because the mission aligns all three of those. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they are all kind of linked, aren't they? There is... You know, you can see some clear linkage to the madness. I'm not sure about my madness, though, but there we go. Um, you know, most people, just because we've got enough for five minutes before you've got to go off. Um, um, quick question. When most people give up too soon, but um, but when should you give up on a startup, on an idea? Mm. You know, I've got a project. That's got some traction. It's another. It's another business, um, and I've been at it on and off for about five years. But mm-hmm. that's been mostly down to my madness, and it's just starting to get some traction. But um, I wonder if I should call it a day and just concentrate mm-hmm. on WB Tonic. Um, when got any insights? Because, like I say, most people give up too early, but there must be a time where you should give up, give up on something. There's definitely a time when you should give up. Five years is a long time. The question I have before giving up on an idea is: is it the is it the idea itself, or is it that I haven't given it the attention it deserves? Like I haven't pivoted it. I haven't focused on it enough. It's been a side project for years and years, that's not, you're not giving it a full chance if you really want it to work. Things, there's this myth in the indie hacker community, I'm going to do one project a month and whatever one catches on is 12 projects and one of them's going to catch, and that's, it's bullshit. Like, it it never happens that way. And I say never, meaning like 99% of the time. It's an indie hacker dream to think that I'm just going to throw these things out and they're just going to catch on fire. Meaning, meaning catch like a rocket ship. It almost never well, happened. What was that saying? Uh, overnight success takes about 10 years yeah. of effort. And sweat. Exactly. That I've got the same right. The, com- the companies I see that are amazing and like have all this you know, uh, uh, growth and the profit and whatever else we would want in a company are the ones where someone focused on it and they fought through and they pivoted and they changed and they realized, ooh, this is not working and they made another change. It wasn't some autopilot thing they launched. So I think... I think before I would close something down, I would ask myself, have I given it its due, um, like its due focus? I would also ask myself, am I done with this? Am I just totally... Sometimes you're just done with a topic or a or a, an idea or a tool and you as a bootstrap founder or even as an invest, you know, if you've raised funding, 
you get to make that call of like, this is, I just want to cash it in. You know, I just want to be done. Yeah, it's been one of my weaknesses in my life, not um, accepting when kind of business relationships or um, more personal relationships or I think everything everything's got a time and place and there's um, a place where you just got to accept things have got it. Nothing lasts forever. We we die, everything dies in the end. Or a business, you know, expect, you know, business will either die or it'll be sold or nothing goes on forever, does it, Rob? No, everyone, and everyone sells eventually. Like I, I say that a lot. There's only like a handful of companies, if that, that don't sell and move on because you just get bored. You just get bored of stuff as entrepreneurs. You know, Basecamp's like the only, really the only bootstrap company I can think of that hasn't sold. I never thought MailChimp would sell, to be honest. And then they did. I didn't think I would sell Drip. And then I did. I didn't think Barometrics would sell. You know, I could go through this list of like, I bet they're going to run that forever. And then someone comes along and they write you, they say, I'm going to pay you 20 times your net profit this year and you get long-term capital gains. By the way, you can fund all of your kids' college funds. You can have enough money, you never have to work again. Suddenly you're sitting there like, oh, I wasn't even thinking about selling and now why would I not, right? Jason Cohen has a great essay about this actually called Rich or King. And he basically says, do you want to be rich or do you want to be king? And he talks about Basecamp wanting to be king and and run their company and this and that. And Jason Cohen said, everything's theoretical until you're sitting at a taco joint and someone slides a piece of paper across and you look at the number and you say, wow, I would never have to work again. And suddenly it changes your, your, your mindset. So- Anyways, that's leaving a business on the good side, right? That's leaving it when you exit. You're talking about leaving it, kind of shutting it down in essence, which unfortunately happens, you know, a lot, a lot more. Yeah, I think Jason, I think I'm pretty sure he he said this on a podcast that I was hosting. He said that with WP Engine, it took him three years to get the first thousand clients. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't. First first thousand. It's... And he really knows what he's doing. He, and he had money. He had money he was putting into it, right? And he knows what he's doing. It still took him three years to get his first thousand clients. That's right. And we, so with Drip, which was my last SaaS app, it was an email service provider. It took us 11 months to get to launch. We had uh, we had beta customers and we had an early access and blah, blah, blah. But we get, it took us 11 months to get to launch. Then we plateaued because we had really built something that was a commodity. People didn't really want to pay for it. And then it took me about another nine or 10 months of just pulling my hair out to find that to find product market fit. It was about nine or 10. And after, so if you put that together, that's like 20, 21 months of from, from start to build till we were able to pour rocket fuel on it. Yeah, because yeah, uh, just to finish off, I, I don't know if just to finish off before we go to go off, um, I think it's really hard to really, really understand what clients really, really want. I don't care how many surveys you do or it, it, it's not easy to really, really work out what really, 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 what customers really, really want. Yep. Would you agree with that? Yeah, because people, you know, this misattributed Henry Ford quote, if I had asked, Henry Ford and Steve Jobs are known as like implying they never talk to customers. Oh, so I should do that too because I'm like them. No, that's not what they did. Henry Ford's quote was, and I think it's misattributed, but whatever. If I had asked them what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And it's like, okay, 
you're a fucking product person. Don't build them a faster horse. Build them a car. Build them, think about it this way. I want to move faster than a horse. Translate that. You're a product person. So I want to build, should I build a train? Oh, what if I built a train that wasn't on rails? Well, that would be a car. You know what I mean? It's like when people tell you, Jonathan, that like they want, I want a checkbox that does X, Y, Z. Usually the problem they're bringing up is correct, but the solution they're suggesting is not the right one. You know what I mean? The problem is there, but they don't know the right solution. And you as a product person or you as an expert, you have to be able to translate that. I believe that quote I just said was maybe from Chris Savage on Twitter Twitter last week, but I heard it and I was like, that exactly encapsulates what it's like being a product maker. Is oh, he's, he's coming on the show. In, um, that's great. He's coming think, on the show in um, September, actually. You have um, to listen to your customers, but listen to their problems, not their solutions. That's really the summary. Right. I think we wrap it up because you you got to go off. Um, so, what's the best way for people to learn about you and your great new book? Sassplaybook.com if they want to read about the book, and of course, start up for the rest of us. If you're you know listening to this or watching this and you like podcasts, that's the place where I'm at. Thirty minutes every week. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed the chat. I think it's been as normal, very insightful. Um, we will be back next week, folks, with another great interview. I actually got some amazing people that have agreed to come on the show. Actually, I'm always amazed how I've managed to persuade people to come on this. Thing. Um, it's the main reason why I continue. I love my discussions. I've learned so much from the podcast myself. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it. Why not visit the Mastermind Facebook group, And also to keep up with the latest news, click wp-tonic.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.